All right, so now I'm going to have us uh, take out our Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 8. We're reading the entire chapters, 13 verses. And when you find your place, please stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had, been, who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, and the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Three in the word, you may be seated. I believe most of us at some point in our lives have gone to a movie theater and seen one of those those action movies and you always know when, when those intense scenes are gonna happen because the, the music starts to get heightened and then all of a sudden it goes quiet. And the cam camera angle is on a person and they won't let you see what quite what is around the corner or what's about to happen. And as we, we look here we we see something that has not been seen in the history of the world. Silence in heaven. Heaven is an eternal place from the, the creation of the world where we see angels worshiping. We see humanity worshiping. Worship requires our, our vocal abilities. We've said before, humanity is unique and we're the only ones that get to sing worship. You know, we, we see the angels, they, they declare, they shout, they proclaim, but they never sing. But they, they have always been involved in, in worship from the, the beginning of the world. But because what is about to happen here is so unique and truly so horrifying, but also so glorifying to God, we see silence. The angels are silent. They are in awe at what's about to happen. But I want you to realize this is the seventh seal. There are seven seals on the scroll. So at the breaking of the seventh seal, what happens? The scroll is opened. And people are in awe. As remember, um, in, in Revelation 4, we see the church is called up to heaven. In Revelation 5, we see John is weeping because there is no one worthy to take the scroll. But he is told by one of the elders, Do not weep, for the Lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He is worthy to take the scroll. And it, and it reads that, that John looked and he behold a lamb who, that looked like he had been slain. Of course, we, we know this is Jesus Christ. And so he has taken the scroll, and in chapter 6 and 7, he has been, he has been opening the, those seals. And finally, we, we come to chapter 8, where the, the final seal is opened. 
But I want us to see that this is not the only time that we've seen quietness from God. There's two other times that you should recognize in the Old Testament. The first one, and probably the most prominent one, is uh, in, in the period where Joseph and his brothers, they go down to Egypt. And Joseph becomes you know, the, the second in command next to Pharaoh. And they live a good life, and they're blessed, and they're prosperous, and they become very, very wealthy in doing so. But of course, Joseph passes away, and a new Pharaoh comes to power. And that Pharaoh is, is afraid of the people because of their number. And so he enslaves them. And, and for 400 years, they cry out with their prayers to God. How long have you prayed for something? What's the longest you ever prayed for something? For me, it was about seven years, as long as I prayed for any single thing. Yeah, she's sitting right there. She knows it. But the, the reality is these people prayed to God to move for 400 years. And at the time, I'm sure it, it felt like God was ignoring them. Or God wasn't ignoring them. He doesn't ignore our prayers either. But there, there are three things I want you to recognize whenever we see God being silent. You'll recognize it here when the throne room is silent. First of all, that God's name is going to be glorified when he is silent. He's preparing to do a mighty work. And, and what he did to Egypt is he showed miracle after miracle that declared his power, his sovereignty, that he is in control. That he alone is in control. The, the false gods, the, the pretend gods that the Egyptians worshipped had no power over the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For he alone is God. But we also see is that when God is doing this, when he is quiet, he is about to redeem his people. He redeemed these people out of slavery. And third, and, and for us, it, it may be the scariest of all, he's bringing judgment. He will always bring judgment when he frees his people. He will bring judgment on those people that have enslaved his people, those people who have mocked him and mocked those that belong to him. I want to call your attention to the, the, the passage in Exodus with the ten plagues because you're going to notice some very um, prominent similarities between the judgments in Revelation and the judgments in Exodus. You'll see water turned into blood. You're going to see disease of the livestock. You're going to see thunder and fiery hail that comes down from heaven. In Exodus, it describes this hail as hail that has never been seen since the creation of the world. and has not been seen since until the passages we read today. You're going to see locusts. You're going to see darkness. And ultimately, you're going to see death. In Egypt, it was the death of the firstborn. In and we, we see with the, the plagues a very similar uh, response that, that we see with Revelation. Is the plagues were actually grace from God given to the people to repent. He did not start right, uh, right away. He could have started right away and killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians. He could have brought the hammer down right away. But he starts and he, he's gentle. And he's giving, he's giving them time to repent as he gives us all time to repent and turn back to him. We see that over and over. And we see a, a promise that he rises up Moses to deliver the people. And he promises that one day he will send one like Moses to deliver everyone. That includes you and I. From Malachi in chapter 2 we read, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we wearied him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? How many have asked that? They go through something hard, something unbearable. They say, where is God? How could a loving God do this? This is God's response. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. 
But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Then I draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in his wages, the widows and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This one he would send before that he called the messenger was John the Baptist, and he prepared the way for the Lord. From the time of this writing from the prophet Malachi, there was another 400 years of silence. But what happened when those 400 years were up? Christ appeared. He died for our sins. He delivered the people. And he brought judgment. If we were to, to look at the, the passages of, of his crucifixion, it talks about the veil being torn from top to bottom. I want you to imagine the veil like the, the high priest when, when something uh, would bother a, a man in the Old Testament, especially the priest. What would they do when they were outraged? They would rip their clothes. And if you were to rip your clothes, it would be from top to bottom. Understand that the, the Father, it pleased Him to send His Son for you. But the judgment is upon the, the people for crucifying Jesus. The judgment is upon us for our sins. And Jesus, and the Father has rent His clothes. He, he looks down and he, he sees people still today. He's given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent, and they will not. They refuse to repent. And so, with this, the church is called up and the time is up for the people. He is giving these last warnings. These first four trumpets that, that we see, that we read about, there's actually grace. There's actually grace in these judgments. Because in these judgments, what we see is God is giving warning to the creation first. So that all the people that are here watching these things happen can look out and see God has declared war against creation. God has said, you have blasphemed my name for the last time. I'm giving you a short while to repent and turn back to me. Or else I, I send my son again in judgment. If you are against Christ, if you do not know him as your Lord and Savior, you do not want to be there when he returns. Amen. When we, we read Revelation, it says that the, 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 the men, the kings, the people in power that fear nothing today, they, they try to hide in caves and hide themselves from the day of the wrath of the Lamb of God. That is what, it, what is declared in Scripture. When it, as, as I said, when we look at the, the uh, plagues in Egypt, I'm going to recap the, the seals for you real quick so you can see the, the tie-ins here. The first one is the seal of the Antichrist, like, like, like Pharaoh who went against God. We see the horsemen of war. Matthew, we read that there will be wars and rumors of wars till the end. Famine and pestilence, the third seal. Death. The rider of death is the fourth seal. But I want you to focus really, really on, on the fifth seal here and see what God is doing. It says that the fifth seal is open. We see martyrs under the altar, and they are praying a prayer. What is their prayer? How long, Lord, before you avenge our blood for those who, who slew us for your name? How long? And Jesus answers them for a little while longer. Many of us today say, Lord, how long? How long will this world go on in such sinfulness? 
You turn the TV on and it's despicable. There's sin and hatred. It's just pure evil. Why does God permit it? He says a little while longer. Amen. Same thing he told to the Jewish people before he went to the cross. And they were, they were trying to understand. He said the Son of Man must be lifted up. And he said the Son of Man will live forever. What do you mean he must be lifted up? He said I will be with you a little while longer. And then judgment will come. A little while longer and judgment will be upon us. Revelations uh, chapter 6, we read the sixth seal. It said, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the star of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and every island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth and the great ones and the gentle and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves. Here we see the ceiling of 144,000. God, God is preparing, he's putting in plan his motion. Putting in, in motion his plan. I want us to understand that, that when, we, when we see these seals being opened, to, to see, yes, judgment, but also to see grace. Now I want us to understand, John says there was silence for about a half an hour. Please don't go try to figure out how long that would be on earth. Understand, heaven is a place that is a, a trinity, if you will, that's it's, it's not bound by time. You know, any, any place in the world, for there to be time, there's two other things required. Space and matter. Okay? When we see John, he is in the spirit. He does not yet have his resurrected body. Okay? The, the, the resurrection is yet future for all the saints of God. So I want us to, to understand clearly that what John is seeing is just meant to give you an understanding that there was silence. And to him it felt like a half an hour. We are not to be, be worried about the exact length, length of time, but we are, we are to be, be focused on the fact that there is silence and that people are in awe at what God is about to do. We see these angels who are given these, these trumpets. And these trumpets are geared at, at creation. These trumpets should terrify you at, at what they bring, but understand that, that God is, is giving us this grace. It, it, if the reality were if if we were struck by a great storm today, what would you rather have, your house be destroyed or your family? Your family, you, you would cherish your family. You would not want, want to lose your family. You would much rather give up your possessions. And that is what's happening here is God is giving warning because the, the possession of the earth belonged to Adam. And Adam lost it through his sin. And, and it's a great pain. We see, see it all the time. It, it aches our heart to see the, the way creation is. The, to, to see uh, what it has become. But at, at the end of the day, we'd rather give up the earth than humanity. We look, and I want us to try to imagine what it would be like. A third of the earth has been burnt up. Imagine if it was just the United States. A third of the United States has been burnt by fire. Your entire west coast, from your Rocky Mountains over, is gone. Then we read a, a great uh, mountain that is on fire is thrown down into the oceans. And a third of the, the oceans, a third of the seas are gone and burn up. A third of the ships. Once you understand, think of a, a great mountain that's a volcano. And imagine seeing an angel grabbing it and taking it and throwing it in, into the ocean. And the tsunamis and, and all the, the hurricanes that this would cause. Not, not a single hurricane that, that we see devastation with sometimes on the East Coast. But we're talking about such a cataclysmic event that, that people... 
do not know what to do. There is no stopping it. There's no amount of Red Cross aid that, that can recover from this kind of damage. And that's not the end. And then we see the, the rivers are struck. You know what kind of financial damage it would do to the United States if the Mississippi River was poisoned? We would go into a Great Depression instantaneously. We talk about a third of the water in the entire world. We take for water granted in this country where we go and, you know, I got a bottle of water right here. I, I could take a drink and I don't even think twice about it. Could you imagine having a cup of water, what it would be worth in those days? It would be worth hundreds of dollars. Think, think of the grace that God gives you now. He, he allows us to drink freely from his cup. He offers us his son, Jesus Christ, before, before the, these ever happen. You know, we, we use, and a lot of people will use things like this, and there'll be people that, they'll blame God for these judgments that come down. Just like people blame God for their loved one getting cancer. People blame God for, for losing someone. They blame God because they, they have a job loss. We tend to blame God. And, and reality is when we see these natural disasters, or when we see these hardships that we endure in life, or hardships our loved ones endure, what it should make us do is hate the sin that has caused these things. The reality is if Adam and Eve don't sin, you have eternal life. You would not die. When, when we see our loved ones with cancer, we should hate the sin. We should hate the sin that's in our lives and other people's lives. And we should be passionate about preaching the gospel so that sin can be removed, that death can be defeated, that it can be conquered. But we don't do that. Too, too many of us focus on the wrong things. The reality is a day is coming when Christ will return and set up his kingdom. And there will be no earthquakes, there will be no tornadoes. There will be no cancer, no death, no disease, no war. My favorite, no politicians. No taxes, no bills. It will indeed be paradise. But for this to happen in all our lives, we have to choose God's will over our own. And that is not easy. It's, it's easy to want to, to do our own will. Adam did his own will. It didn't work out so well. Abraham did his own will. It didn't work out so well. When we go against God and we go in our own will, sin is the cause. And that there are always consequences to that sin. But I want you to see four things that God is doing in this passage. Number one, he is answering our prayers and meeting our needs. He encourages with the fifth seal for them to keep praying a little while longer. To keep praying. Wants to see the relationship between our prayers, our daily prayers, and God's plan. Jesus instructed us to pray for God's name to be hallowed. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What is happening here in Revelation? The prayer that Jesus told his disciples to pray, that in the order that, that we are to pray, for God's will to be done, for his kingdom to be established on earth as it is in heaven. What is happening in Revelation? Our prayer is being answered. And it scares us. The establishment of God's kingdom scares us. Because the one thing that has always been true, that God will not have sin in his presence. So if God's kingdom is established on earth, guess what? There will be no sin on earth. He will not allow it. And so there, there are some that, that think they can go on, thinking they can live for God in one hand and go on sinning in the other. It's not going to happen. 
that, that speaks of an unrepentant heart to think that you could go and, and live just like the world and do like the world says and says, well, God loves me. It's okay. It doesn't matter that I do this sin that God calls an abomination. It doesn't really matter, does it? God loves me. Yes, God loves you, and He loves you enough not to leave you in your sin. He loves you enough to want you in His presence. He loves you enough that He sent His Son to die for you, for your sins. He loves you enough that He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He came and He bore the price for your sin. And He did it while you were an enemy of God. While you said, I don't want that Jesus. That's for some people. That's not for me. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. We, we also see that, that with, with this, uh, the part of the need that is met is we, we disregard too often the, the connection between God's wrath against sin and the ravages of nature. Too often we'll look and we'll just say that's Mother Nature. There's no such thing as Mother Nature. There's Father God. God is in control of the wind and the waves. Jesus is able to calm the storm. We, God gives us nature so we can look at, you know, you want to know the, the truth. We, we often will talk about science, and people think science and religion clash. They do not. The thing that was invented in the 15th century called natural theology, it was later renamed science. Science was created with the intention of looking out into creation and seeing the effects of God on our world so we could give God glory for what he has done. And the reality is God is angry. We live in a sinful world. The, Ro the book of Romans tells us that all of creation is groaning for your redemption. Why? Because creation can't be redeemed until you are redeemed. God did not send His Son so that creation can be saved. And we often will talk and hear things about global warming and how we need to put our money into resources. I will tell you, God charged Adam to take care of creation. As humanity, we are to take care and, and do, do well with creation. But read Revelation. A third of the earth will be burned up in one, one judgment. You think all the money that we pour into saving the earth will save it? No. There will be a new heaven, a new earth. This one will be consumed by fire because it has been ravaged by sin. Make no mistake about that. We, we could go into the politics that, that are involved in that, but the reality is God tells us to repent and turn back to Him. And He will purify us and give us new hearts. We will be new creatures. He will give us a new body that is perfected, that is no longer ravished by the sin that we see in our lives. Number three, judgments show the glory of God. When God brought the judgments in Egypt, He was showing them His power, His glory. We should always be concerned about God's glory. We should be concerned when people defame the name of God, when His, when his name is not used to be hallowed. God cares about that, and that's what we see. We see the saints in heaven they want this to happen. They're longing, saying, How long, Lord? Because to, to kill a Christian in the name of Jesus is to blaspheme the name of Jesus. They want to see Jesus' name glorified throughout the entire world. And that is going to happen. It's going to happen one day soon. And best of all, as I touched on earlier, number four, that is happening here is, How long, Lord? A little longer. A little while longer. When we see the opening of the seventh seal, understand this is the beginning of the tribulation. This is not the middle. These things you see now, these are softballs. These are cupcakes. These are not the big judgments that are coming. This is the light stuff to warn you to repent and turn back towards God. 
And you may not say, well, how could that be the light stuff when hail and fire, you know, I want you to imagine icebergs coming out of heaven on fire, coming down, and as they're hitting the ground, they're lighting the grass on fire. Animals are dying. There's blood everywhere. It doesn't sound like to us, but understand to an all-powerful God, that is light. We talked about the, the burning mountain and the third of the world being burnt up. I want us to see how serious God is about his glory. He is not going to go on forever and allow his name to be blasphemed. He created us. He loves us. He cherishes us. He sent his son for us. He's allowed his church to prosper, to declare his glory, to declare his gospel. And a day soon is coming where God will call his church home. He's made promises in the Old Testament to a man named Abraham, and those are going to come true. Jesus will, will be the king of David's line and reign forever from Jerusalem. It's a glorious and amazing thing to think about. But you have to want to be part of the kingdom. God's not going to let you in if you blaspheme him now, if you deny him to your dying breath. The third angel blew his trumpet, and it's something that is called wormwood. You know, it's uh, I talked with Brother Mark the other the day on Wednesday night, and just talking about how we had an asteroid that flew a few hundred thousand miles within Earth, and the scientists thought it'd be a good idea to nickname it Wormwood. I don't think it's smart to, to mock God's word. It's really not. You, you know what the name for uh, in Russian for Chernobyl is? Wormwood. It's a literal word-for-word -word translation in the Russian. So when you think of the Chernobyl uh, disaster that happened and how people to this day. They still have to be tested if they're just driving through the town. It is still a town that is inhabitable. That is what we're talking about. When, when things are poisoned, when the waters are poisoned, they will no longer be usable. They will no longer be good for anything. Think about the damage it would do to us if Lake Michigan became poisoned. This is not a poison that you could purify with man's means. The effects will be catastrophic. We, we, we joke about a lot of times about having enough money to retire or, or budgets as a church and things like that. The, the effects of the damage that is talked about here, the money would be gone. The money would become meaningless overnight. The reality is God is giving us an opportunity now, and we must act upon it now. We must not wait till, till these, these things hit us and affect us. First trumpet, dry land, second sea, the third rivers, and the fourth the sun. Darkness. Could you imagine walking in darkness? Pure darkness. No stars to see. No moon. No sun. That's what the people in Egypt had to walk in. They stumbled and tripped over everything. God is warning of us of our blindness. Because if we're going to go on being blind, he will make the whole earth blind. But he does it just for a third of the day and a third of the night. He's showing us his grace in it. He could have wiped it out completely, but he did not. So I would ask you whether you're a Christian or not, who are you trusting in? Do we trust in the light of the day? Do we trust in our bank account? Do we trust in our own abilities? Or do we trust in God? God is able to do everything. Absolutely everything. Do we trust in him to do that? What's going to happen when, when one day there's a nuclear war? Are you going to panic or are you going to trust in God? What happens when the next terrorist attacks? Are we going to freak out and, and do what we always do and panic and go to war? Or are we going to trust in God? Over and over again, 
we are faced daily. Who are we going to trust in? What is our trust going to be in? Will it be in God or will it be in ourselves? Will it be in man? We see this great eagle that, that comes and he is one of the creatures that we saw standing around the throne. And he says, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Understand? He's telling us that the worst is yet to come. That this is the lightweight stuff. Woe, because the next three trumpets that will blow will directly affect mankind for the refusal to repent. And as we read through Revelation, you'll see there will be many, hundreds of thousands that will repent and turn to God and we will praise God for it. And the angels will praise and we will all worship with them together. They will receive a special blessing. At the same time, there will be many more who refuse to repent. Because if we're honest, our, our hearts are hard. The reality is that if the Spirit does not come and change our hearts, no one will return to God. We would just turn on ourselves. We would turn in our own way. But I remind us what God told the prophet Ezekiel. He was told that if he did not warn the wicked, that they would pay for their own sin, but that God would require their blood at Ezekiel's hand. We are all called as Christians to warn of what is coming. To share the good news that no one has to go through this. That they, that they can be a part of paradise. Our, our prayer should be that, that God will cause us to love, love people enough to tell them the truth. Too, too often I, I, I hear and, and I, I think the accusation fits is with, with atheists. They say, well, the Christians really love me. They tell me about Jesus. Even if I don't want to hear it. That statement is absolutely true. If we love people, we will tell them about Jesus. Yes, sometimes it will cost us friendship. Sometimes this will cost us family. I can stand before you and tell you, it has cost me family. But the reality is they have heard the gospel, and their blood is not on my hands. I desire each and every one of you to present you to God as a holy sacrifice, that your life lived will be a holy sacrifice, well-lived and honorable to God. And he will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That way, that the day that I stand up there, he'll be able to say the same to me. We, we all must hold each other accountable. We must be willing to share that gospel. The trumpet that blasts in chapter 8 depicts God hallowing his name, as the prayer says. We, we need to, to be concerned about, about God's name, about what people say about his name. The awesome display of God's wrath we see shows that, that God takes seriously the glories that do to him. I pray that this chapter above all will make you hate sin. Because in the garden this was not needed. There was no judgment needed in the garden until sin. And the, re the reality of our lives, judgment would not be needed if we, we did not sin. If we, if we were to stand up here, if I were to stand up here and tell you I do not sin, the Bible makes it clear, I would be a liar. An absolute liar. And that Jesus would have no part with me. We sin and we need to repent. There's no shame in repentance. Acknowledge your guilt and come before the Father. To those that, that are not believers, I remind you from Romans, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's nothing you, you've done that, that is too far gone that you can't be saved. God loves you. That's why he sent his son. That is what the good news is. Yes, we talk about the bad news of hell and sin because you have to understand that before you'll realize that what what Jesus did is good news for you. It is amazing news that he has saved you. 
that you will see your loved ones, but most of all, you will see your Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The trumpet blast in chapter 8 show that the, in response to the prayers of his people as the holiness of God is visited upon the, the, the natural things of the created world, God answers the prayers of his people. There is not a single prayer prayed in the will of God that God will not answer. You may think he's slow in answering. This prayer, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, has been prayed for over 2,000 years. God is not bound by time like you and I are. You may think God is being slow to answer your prayer. God is not slow. God has delayed this judgment for your sake and for my sake. If God would have brought this judgment just 15 years ago, I'd be lost in hell forever. I praise God that he says a little while longer. Amen. I know we're all ready to go home, but a little while longer. Because we have a mission to do. Jesus told us, he did and I was saying with the Sunday school class and discipleship, Jesus never once says, go out and make Christians. He never once says, go out and make converts. He says, go out and make disciples. If we are to call ourselves disciples, we need to be people who make other disciples. We need to be people who make people who want to be like Jesus Christ. Because that's what the disciples did. They were nothing special. We've gone over it before. Peter was a fisherman, and by, by all accounts, he wasn't that good of a fisherman. But God used him and changed the world. He can use you and he will use you. God does not reject our prayers. He answered them. Many of us, we long for Christ to return. We long to be with our loved ones. For their sake, Jesus tells us a little while longer. I'll tell you, a little while is almost up. Many people will say, when will Jesus return? I can't give you a date. And the Bible frankly, forbids me from doing so. The reality is, I believe I'm part of the generation that will never die. I believe we are that close. So I encourage you, when, when the music's played today, come to the altar, surrender to God. Bring all your objections. I've told you before, if you have the objections and things you just, you struggle with the Bible and believe in, or, or you think these things aren't true, I will sit down with you and I, sh I will show you why they are. We talked about on Easter, Atheists believe that Christ rose from the dead. I tell you, if a man can rise from the dead, he has the power of God in him. In fact, he's God. It's the most audacious claim in the history of the world that a man has risen from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and he is coming again. Christians believe it. The Jews are, are believing it and waiting for it. The Muslims believe it. Atheists believe it. Christ is coming again. He is the author of this book and... He says a little while longer. These judgments must be poured out. Glory must be made known. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for this day. I give you thanks for your holy word. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who is backslidden, who has is, who is walked away from you, Lord God, I pray. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, and, and, and they, they need to hear you speak in their hearts, I pray you convict them of their sin and and show them that you're loving and grace-filled. That the judgments we speak of are, are judgments for, for the wicked, for people who refuse to, to turn to God, who refuse to acknowledge their Creator, who refuse to acknowledge their Savior. Be with us now, Lord. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen.